Well, good morning, New Breed. Hopefully, uh, at this time, you have found Habakkuk chapter 2 uh, there in your Bible. Uh, and I want to begin by reading Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And we are going to read through the end of the chapter. So Habakkuk 2, beginning in verse 6, reading through verse 20. Follow along with me. Won't all of these take up a taunt against him? With mockery and riddles about him, they will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you. Because of human bloodshed and violence against land, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labor only to fuel their fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbor, neighbor's drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of the animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against land, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Heavenly Father, as we examine these five woe oracles and we, we look to your heart towards injustice, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would be challenged, that we would be shaped, that we would be molded to, make, to look more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his great name that we pray. Amen. Well, it is, as I mentioned, good to be back with you <clears throat> this morning. I am excited to open the Word of God with you, and I'm particularly excited to jump back into the book of Habakkuk and the series that we started before this pandemic began, uh, a series entitled God's Justice in an Unjust World. And this morning, we are going to be examining the five woe oracles uh, in a sermon that I have entitled The Woe Oracles, God's Heart Towards Injustice. God's heart towards injustice. Uh, and I want to hear at the beginning, take just a moment, uh, and I want to give a special thank you um, to, to a couple folks. One, I just want to say thank you to those uh, who have from New Breed who have been working uh, tirelessly to make um, the stream work. I'm so thankful for uh, those who have been leading us in worship and their faithfulness uh, to come and to serve with the gifts that God uh, has given them. And I also want to give a very special thank you um, to Sojourn Midtown, uh, specifically to, to Jamal Williams, the lead pastor, and to, to Austin Oglesby. Um, you know, Jamal and I spoke this past week, and I shared with him some of the struggles that we were having in terms of getting this live stream working a little bit better, uh, specifically the audio working correctly, and he connected me with Austin, uh, who is their technical director, uh, and Austin came and spent quite a few hours with me over a couple days. Uh, to figure out some of the issues that were going on. And I'm not listening live, obviously, but I am hoping uh, that the audio is working better uh, than it has been and it's coming through clearer. 
And I just want to thank them uh, for serving us during this season. It is a good reminder that we, uh, as churches, we are not in competition with one another. We are not competing to see who can get the most members or, or have the most baptisms. But we are sister churches, all seeking to make much of the gospel wherever Jesus has placed us. And so it is, it is good and kind to serve our brothers and sisters wherever they are. And so I am so thankful for uh, Austin and for Jamal and for their willingness to to serve us. Uh, So as I mentioned, we are jumping back into the book of Habakkuk. Now, we have been out of the book of Habakkuk for some time, so I wanted to spend a few minutes here at the beginning uh, just refreshing us a little on what we have already mentioned about the book of Habakkuk. So I'm going to take a little bit of time uh, and just review, and we have a lot to cover this morning, uh, but I think that this is is very important and I'd invite you that if you'd like to go back and to listen to any of the previous sermons through the book of Habakkuk, those are uh, all available on our website and through our uh, podcast on Spotify as well. Uh, But Habakkuk is one of the the minor prophets, and and the book of Habakkuk, as we had mentioned at the beginning, it's, it's quite a unique book. Uh, One thing that makes it unique uh, is, if you remember, it does not read like the other prophetic books of the Bible. And what I mean by that is typically uh, prophetic books reveal God's declaration to his people through the mouth of a prophet. So you will often in the prophetic books hear statements like, thus says the Lord, or the Lord has declared, or, or the Lord says, or, or, or the Lord is speaking, or hear the word of the Lord. But you don't really get any of that in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, and instead, we are, we are privileged to witness and listen to a dialogue that is going on between God and Habakkuk, where Habakkuk cries out to God, and God responds to him. And then Habakkuk speaks again, and, and God again responds to him, and so forth and so on. So we are, we are privileged to be listening in on a conversation between a prophet of God and God himself. And it was recorded and written down so that we could understand God's heart in regards to injustice in the world. The book speaks clearly and is all about God's justice in an unjust world. So the setting of this book is one where Judah, the people of God, um, are plagued with injustice. Uh, And at the beginning of this book, uh, this is not injustice inflicted from an outside nation. It's not coming from from neighbors and those around them. It is actually injustice that is self-inflicted. People of Judah are performing and perpetuating acts of injustice. The rich are getting richer at the expense of the lowly. The poor are getting poorer and people are being mistreated. And sin is abounding in Judah. And so... The book of Habakkuk begins, and in chapter 1, verse 3, Habakkuk asks this question of God. He says, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing, and conflict, conflict escalates. And as we examine that beginning part of the book of Habakkuk in our first sermon, we wanted to answer uh, one fundamental question. We wanted wanted to answer the question of where does injustice come from? Where does injustice come from? Where does it stem from? What does it spring out of? And so we highlighted in that first sermon three things in that sermon or, or three reasons why there is injustice in the world. And the first one was that injustice exists because sin is present. Injustice exists because sin is present. And we talked about the fact that injustice at its core is a result of the fall. And it is a result of sin being present in this world and in the lives of people who live in this world. The second reason that we highlighted was that injustice exists because the law is insufficient. And and if you remember, we talked about the, the fact that the law could not bring about justice. But what the law did was the law showed where injustice was and when it was being uh, uh, perpetrated. But, but the law was insufficient in, in bringing about the heart change that was needed to overcome injustices in the world. And the third reason was that it, injustice exists because of idolatry. Because we are worshiping the wrong thing, and we will actually talk more about this idea of idolatry here in a few minutes. 
And we examined the beginning of the book and, 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 and sought to answer that question. And what was taking place in the book was that Habakkuk had called out to God to act because of the injustice that he had seen in Judah. And God responded, and God said that he would act. But the problem was Habakkuk didn't quite like nor understand God's response because what God was going to do, he said, was he was going to raise up the Chaldeans, a pagan nation, to conquer Judah. And what God knew and allowed was for the Chaldeans to inflict greater injustice on God's people collectively. And again, Habakkuk, again, Habakkuk hears all of this. And he does not understand. He says to God in chapter 1, verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? And why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? And so Habakkuk basically says, God, I don't understand that because we may be wicked, but we're not as bad as the Chaldeans. So how could you allow someone even more wicked than us to prosper? How, how, how is that good? How is that good and how is that Right, and Habakkuk does not understand why God would act in this way, and God is gracious to respond again and says in chapter 2, verse 4, but the righteous will live by faith. And so God basically says to Habakkuk, you don't have to understand, but you have to trust me. And then we examined in that, in that sermon this, this idea of when God acts and we don't understand. And there were three takeaways from that message. The first one being that God's actions, God's actions don't have to make sense to us. That God's actions don't have to make sense to us. The second takeaway was that we can ask God the hard questions. And we talked about the fact that the problem often isn't the questions that we ask, but the, the problem is often the posture in which we ask them, that God is okay with us asking the hard questions, but we have to come out of a posture of humility and, and, and understanding that God is God and we are not. And then the third takeaway from that message was that we, when, we, when God acts and we don't understand, we must wait in faith. We must wait in faith. And I reminded you at the end of that sermon, which brings us to our text this morning, I reminded you that when we can't see God's hand, we can always trust his heart. And so what we see in our text this morning, in the text that we just read, is somewhat of God's heart toward injustice in this world revealed in these five woe oracles, which could also be understood as judgment on those who are unjust. We see God's heart, what he thinks and feels about injustice. And so what I want to do this morning is, is I'm going to walk through these five oracle, five woe oracles, and I know that we had mentioned breaking them down one by one, but as I worked through them, I thought that the wisest thing would be to put them together to do a little bit shorter of an explanation, but in order to kind of build uh, to the culmination, which is the fifth oracle. So I'm going to walk through these oracles and hopefully help us understand in a very basic form what they are saying, and along the way, I'll make some comparison to things we see in our day and age. And then what I want to do is at the very end of this sermon, I I want to offer you four takeaways uh, from examining these five woe oracles, four truths to hold on to as we live in an unjust world, but trust in a just God. So let's dive into these, these oracles. And you know, the first two woe oracles, the first two woe oracles there in verses six through 11, they speak to injustices inflicted on people for an individual's selfish gain injustices inflicted on people for an individual's selfish gain and it specifically includes the use of violence look with me again as we read verses 6 through 11 woe to him who amasses what is not his how much longer and loads himself with goods taken in pledge won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up then you will become spoil for them since you have plundered many nations all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands cities and all who live in them woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house 
to place his nest on high, to escape the great, uh, to, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. And so these two woe oracles. They speak of individuals who are so concerned with their own prosperity that they will sin against others to gain it. It speaks of individuals who are so concerned with their own prosperity that they will sin against others to gain it. And there are two distinct people who are mentioned in these two woe oracles. There are those who have and want more. We see that there at the very beginning in verse verse 6. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. So those who, who have and want more. But, but it also speaks of those who think they are safe because they have the world's goods. Who, those who think that they are building protection around their, their homes and their lives because they have the world's goods. And these oracles speak of individuals who, individuals who love worldly goods above all else. Who love worldly goods above all else. And what's interesting is that the Bible speaks of this as injustice. About those who would pursue, pardon me. We're going to try something here. See if this works. It speaks of those who would pursue the world's treasures at the expense of other people. And in our modern day and age, we would refer to this simply as economic injustice, where those who have little are trampled on so that those who have can continue to gain. And what I want you to see, even as we read this text in Habakkuk 2, is that this problem of injustice, this type of injustice, it's not a problem that was limited to the ancient Near East. It's not a problem that only existed for Judah and for the Chaldeans, because we see this very problem in our country today today. There is something to the fact in our country today that from 1989 to 2016 in the United States, the wealth gap between the poor and the rich more than doubled. There is something to be said about the fact that the fastest growing incomes in our country is of those who are already rich. And well, you, you might say, well, Michael, you, you have to have money to make money in this country. And, and I'm not going to disagree with you. That very well may be true. And perhaps, though, that truth is the problem. Now, now I, want, I want you to hear me plainly. I want you to, to hear me plainly. This is not meant to be a political conversation. This is not meant to be a political sermon. I am not advocating for any policy or any political party. I simply want you to see right now that the same injustice that Habakkuk observed and hated is the same injustice that we still see today. People who love money more than people and people who are willing to exploit people for personal gain. And Scripture has something to say about this. You see it here in these woe oracles as judgment is pronounced on those who gain dishonestly. But Jesus warned of this temptation when he said in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus goes on and says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And then he ends by saying this, No one can serve two masters. Either... He will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. Paul puts it plainly in 1 Timothy 6.10 where he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, listen to this, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
And here in Habakkuk, God tells us how foolish these people are in pursuing their own gain at the expense of others as he reveals two significant realities. The first reality is there in verses 7 and 8 when, when it says, Why won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoiled for them since you have plundered many nations. All the peoples who remain will plunder you. And this is a declaration that those who are oppressed will one day judge the oppressor. That those who are oppressed will be vindicated. And for some, it will come in this life. But for some, it will be in the life to come. Listen, we cannot forget that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us that we will judge the world one day with Christ. Now, I'm not going to read these passages just for the sake of time, but, but you can see that truth in Psalm 149, uh, verses 6 through 9. You can see that truth in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3. And you can see the reality that one day the redeemed will judge the world with Christ in Revelation 20, verse 4. But second... God, God also reveals how, how foolish these people are who pursue their own gain at the expense of others. Uh, there in verses 9 and 10 where he says, Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. You see, what, what God is saying is that people think that they are building up security in this world by pursuing the treasures of this world, even at the expense of other people, that, that you are building safety and security. But in fact, what God wants to communicate is that you cannot escape disaster by storing up for yourselves treasures in this world. In fact, you are you are reaping more disasters upon you, yourself. You can go back to what was just read in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, don't for, store up for yourselves treasures on earth with, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Many think that they are gaining safety and security by pursuing worldly treasures, but what they are actually building up is scorn and judgment. They are losing more than they are gaining. And what God is pointing us true is the, to is the fact that the only real safety is found in the hands of an eternal God, not the things of this world. And I want to pause there just for a point of application and challenge you to examine your, yourself. How is it that you view money? Now, I'm not saying that money is a bad thing. I'm not saying we should do away with it because money allows us to be faithful to other aspects of Scripture. But I am calling you to examine how much stock do you put in the things of this world? Are you willing to step on other people to acquire it? And so these first, these first two woe oracles speak of God's judgment on those who would store up treasures at the expense of people created in God's image. And the third woe is actually somewhat similar, but it's a little broader in nature because the th third woe speaks of injustices inflicted on people for a city's gain. Injustices inflicted on team, where it says, woe to him. And that's a, that's a plural hymn. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. One commentator notes on this passage that this third woe expands the focus of the second as it considers those collectively who build a city with bloodshed, founding it on violent iniquity. And one of the things that Habakkuk observed as he considered the Chaldeans, one of the things that Habakkuk knew about the Chaldeans was that the Chaldeans conquered nations with fierce bloodshed, but then even beyond that, they ruled those nations with fierce bloodshed. They built their empire by persecuting those that they had conquered, by enslaving those that they had conquered. So he, he was right to see the injustice in this. 
And God is revealing to him in this woe oracle that I hate that injustice as well. And judgment, hear me, will come on nations who build their nations through unjust means. And church, if that does not resonate with us here today in our country, I don't know if you know this, but our nation was built through injustice. The first slaves arrived on these shores in 1619, and our country wasn't founded until 1776. So think about that. That means that slavery is closer to the origins of this nation than the Declaration of Independence is. Slavery wasn't abolished in this country until 1865. The United States of America was built by injustice inflicted on people. And you may be thinking, well, I understand that and I believe that, but that was before my time. So, so that is past. That's no longer the nation that way we are. Well, let me just excuse the reality of the effects of slavery today for just a moment, the, the effects that we are still feeling. And what about, though, the immigrant workers? who are exploited because of their status to provide cheap labor, who aren't paid a fair wage. And you might be thinking, well, I don't do that. Well, your, food, your table might be filled with the food that they help farm. The United States of America, the nation where we live, was a nation founded on injustice and unfortunately is still being perpetuated by injustice. In church, we have to be honest about the reality of where we are and we have to be honest about the injustices that we see in our country today because as I said in the very first sermon, injustice is something that we have to care about because God cares about it. There is injustice around us today, even in our nation, and that's, that's not even looking at other nations. Church, this matters to us. This has to matter to us. Injustice has to matter to us because we are not immune from it because what is so interesting in that passage of Scripture is that judgment is leveled against the nation against the city, against uh, the, the country, against the nation. It is reserved for the place where injustice abounds. But there's one thing that is particularly striking about this woe oracle to me. And this is, so the third woe, war, woe oracle, this is the first oracle where God is introduced into the oracles by name. And look at verse 13. It says, Is it not from the Lord of armies that peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? And he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. And what is happening here is intentional by God. And, and what we see is that there is a contrast between the unjust building of the nations of men and the kingdom of God that will be established. And so we know on this side of the cross that the kingdom of God was ultimately established on earth through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So we are forced as readers reading post the cross, we are forced to consider that the injustices we still see stand in stark contrast to the gospel that we profess to believe. Because here's what I mean, because in the gospel, we see a picture of Jesus establishing his kingdom by sacrificing himself for the good of others. But the picture of the injustices that we are reading about in this world is one of establishing our kingdoms by sacrificing others for our good. Think about that again. The gospel, in the gospel, we see a picture of Jesus establishing his kingdom by sacrificing himself for the good of others. And the picture of the injustice in this world is one of establishing our kingdoms by sacrificing others for the good of self. In church, we have to just be aware of the fact that God will judge those who build kingdoms at the expense of others. Again, to be a woe oracle as it begins all of these with woe is to begin with judgment. It is judgment being leveled on those of whom it speaks. But this leads to the, the fourth woe oracle. And the fourth woe oracle is very unique. 
Because of all the injustices that God could have spoke of that were taking place in Judah and through Cal- the Chaldeans, God speaks to this. And in the fourth woe oracle speaks of injustices inflicted on people through shame. Injustices inflicted on people through shame. Look again at verses 15 through 17. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. That's shame. It goes on and says, you will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter disgrace will cover your glory. And this oracle, it's so unique because it is about shame, shaming and and belittling people. And often we don't think of this as an injustice or at best we think of it as a minor injustice that God would probably overlook because of greater injustices. But, But of the five injustices that God speaks of, he includes this idea of shaming and belittling people. And again, we don't often think of shaming and belittling someone as injustice, but the Lord sees it as such. Because what's unique is that this type of injustice flows out of a heart of pride. And I know you could make that argument for any of the injustices that we have talked about, but perhaps that even adds to the weight of it, that the same pride that would lead you to to, to pursue selfish gain at the expense of others is the same pride that will flow out of you in shaming and belittling someone. It flows from a heart that believes that you are better than others, and as a result, you believe you have the right to think less of others. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense that this would be considered by God an injustice. Because what belittling someone does is the same as the other injustices at its core. It allows you to get something Maybe it's a pride in yourself. Maybe maybe it's a feeling of superiority, but it allows you to get something by shaming and taking the dignity away from someone else. And church, this woe in particular, I believe, is a great caution to us in the church today. There is great caution for all of us in this woe oracle not to think too highly of ourselves. Because sure, you may be able to say that you have not received financial gain by exploiting someone. You may be able to say that you have not received financial benefit through bloodshed. You may be able to say that you have not participated in the injustice of building a nation on the back of the oppressed. But can you say that you have not shamed or belittled someone in your life? Church, this was such a prick in the heart to me because I, I'll be honest with you and vulnerable here for a moment. I don't know who's watching, but I'm still going to trust that you will, you will love me and not think less of me. But, but when I think of shaming and belittling someone, it w- did not take much searching for me to think of an instance to do this or, or an instance where I have done this because I have done that to my own children even this week. In moments of sin and weakness, I have sought to bring about what I wanted by shaming my children or making them feel like they are less than. I can think of of particular moments, even in this new adventure for us of homeschooling our children, uh, where where I am not trained to be a teacher, but where I just want, want my child to get it. I want her to understand. And rather than love injustice perpetuated against my own children, but unfortunately, I wish I could say that in the wretchedness of my heart, it has stopped with my children, but it has not. I will shame and belittle and look down on people even if I don't always say it with my mouth. And this is injustice. It is wicked and God hates it. He sees it as injustice. And I would contend that the reason this is such an injustice is because it ignores the image of God imprinted on every human being. It is to degrade and belittle the image of our great God in humanity. And this is sinful. It is so sinful that I want you to notice God's judgment pronounced there in verse 16. He says, you will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup, notice this, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. 
and utter disgrace will cover your glory. We know that all throughout Scripture, the picture of this cup at the Lord's right hand is a picture of God's wrath and is a picture of God's judgment and it is a picture of God's anger. It is the same cup that is spoken of in the crucifixion narrative. It is the cup that Jesus drank on behalf of his children to provide salvation and freedom. And what God says for those who continue to perpetuate injustice, for those who continue to live in their sin, they will be forced to drink the cup of God's wrath and his judgment, his anger, and his hatred of sin. And and brothers and sisters who are listening, I just want to say that that is a cup that is too great for any one of us to bear. This would be a great opportunity for me to just give praise to Jesus who drank that cup on our behalf in the cross and the resurrection, who provided a way for us wretched, sinful, unjust people to be made right with God. We'll come back to that in a moment. I want to move on to the fifth woe. And the fifth woe is also an interesting woe to consider. Because the fifth woe speaks of the injustice of idolatry. The injustice of idolatry. Look at verses 18 through 20. It says, what use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape, trusts in it, and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up. Or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. And let the whole earth be silent in his presence. And it is interesting and significant, church, that the fifth woe oracle... uh, that that concludes this section speaks of judgment against the injustice of idolatry. And the reason that it is so significant is because idolatry is honestly the only way to conclude a conversation on injustice because idolatry matters as the culmination to all of the injustice being discussed for two reasons. The first reason that idolatry matters as a culmination to all of the injustices we have just spoken of is because the greatest injustice that can ever be committed is idolatry. I want you to hear me clearly. The greatest injustice that can ever be committed is idolatry. And we, church, cannot ever forget this. As horrible as racial injustice is, as horrendous as disproportionate prison sentencing is, as sickening as economic disparities are, and people dying of hunger as those who profit from the hungry's labor flourish, as degrading as shame and belittlement is, the greatest injustice that can ever be done is worshiping anything other than the creator of this world, than God himself. Because he alone is worthy of our lives. He alone is worthy. And when we ascribe glory and honor and worth to anything other than God as preeminent, we are committing the most grievous of all injustices. God says in Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6, Do not have any other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commands. Psalms chapter 115 verses 1 through 8. It says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them. 
as are all who trust in them. And the psalmist there in Psalm 115 is reminding us of the fact that idols are dead. And those who worship are just like them. They are dead. And the reality that idolatry is the greatest injustice ought to humble us because it reminds us that we all have been complicit in the greatest injustice that has ever been done. And the reason that that humbling is so significant is because there is a real temptation for us to look at other injustices in this world, to look at racial injustice and economic injustice and whatever other injustice that we can think of and to boast in ourselves and say, at least I'm not like them. But this this injustice should humble us because there is not a, a, a living being with breath in his lungs barring Jesus who has not at some point in his life committed this injustice by worshiping something other than God. Because before we were redeemed, church, and not a one of us who are saved came out of the womb that way, we were by nature fallen and broken and worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. And we have all committed this idolatry. So idolatry matters as a culmination to all of the injustices being discussed because first, it is the greatest injustice that can ever be committed, but second, because it highlights the only real solution to injustice in this world. It highlights the only real solution to injustice in this world because the only way that we will see injustice stop is when people begin to worship the living God. And I want to tell you, church, and I said this earlier on in one of the sermons, I am all for policy change. I am all for law change. I am all for addressing the reality of systemic injustices. But we as believers have to be honest about the fact that injustices in this world will never stop until people begin to worship the living God. You see, the woes end there in verse 20 with this statement, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. And that is the call. And when that call is truly heeded, injustice will cease. When people see the Lord as who he is, seated in the heavens in his holy temple, and when the earth is silent and and in awe in his presence, then we will see injustices cease. I mean, I think about it. Doesn't that make sense? Because when Jesus sums up the entirety of the law, he says that we are to love God and love people. And the order of that summation matters. That first we love God and then we love people. Because as we love people well, injustices will cease. But the only way we can love people well is when we first love God. And the only way we can love God is when we recognize and believe in his love displayed for us. Because, church, we cannot forget that Jesus has provided the means for us to love God. That apart from Christ's finished work on the cross, we cannot love God. I mean, think about it. We were all dead in our sins. We were pursuing our own ends. We were pursuing our own, our own gains. We were pursuing our own name and our own fame. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, sins in which we once walked. We were dead. And, and we were by nature deserving of God's wrath and judgment. Every one of us should be punished for our sin. But yet God loved us so much that he sent Jesus And Jesus lived in this life perfectly in the flesh, never committing an injustice, never belittling, never shaming anyone. And he was the only one, as we mentioned, who by nature was not deserving of judgment and wrath and punishment. And yet he went to the cross out of his love for the Father and his love for us. And Jesus hung on that cross. And as he died, he drank the cup of God's wrath for us. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead. And so through that death and burial and resurrection, there is an opportunity for us to exchange our wickedness for Christ's righteousness. When we come to Jesus through faith and repentance, believing in what he has done for us on the cross and believing that he paid the debt that we owe, we can be made right with God. And as we are made right with God, we are empowered by the Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit enables us to, for the first time, love God. And as we grow in our love for God, understanding what he has done for us, understanding our own wretchedness, we will begin to love people well because we will not think too highly of ourselves. 
Jesus has provided the means for us to love God, and when we truly love God, we will love people. 1 John 4, 19, 20 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so the greatest judgment, the final judgment of injustice is towards those who fail to worship the living God. The greatest of all injustices. So I know we're, we're running long this morning, um, but that's okay because you have nowhere to go. I want to conclude with, with, with quickly uh, by giving you four takeaways from this woe section of Habakkuk. Four truths that I want you to hold on to as we wrestle with the fact that we live in an unjust world, but we have a just God. So, so four takeaways. Here's the first takeaway. God hates injustice, and so should we. God hates injustice, and so should we. We talked about that briefly a moment ago, but you know, we see this as God reveals his heart towards injustice in this passage. God hates injustice and judgment is coming on the unjust and our response to injustice should be that of Habakkuk back in chapter one when he says, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Doing oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Habakkuk rightly hated the injustice that he saw because he knew that God hated it. And church, we cannot act like there is not injustice in the world. We cannot turn a blind eye to it. But our response should be one of hatred towards the injustice that we see. Not a hatred of the unjust person, but a hatred of the injustices that we see because God hates injustice and so should we. Here's the second takeaway. God is greater than the greatest oppressor. God is greater than the greatest oppressor. And we see this in the judgments leveled against those who are unjust. We see that God is greater than the greatest oppressor because God is the one who is first sovereign over the oppressors. We see that as he tells Habakkuk exactly what he is going to allow to happen through the Chaldeans. And God is sovereign over all of that. But we see it in the fact that he is, he is the judge over all of it. Nothing happens apart from his judgment. And so, so he is greater than the greatest oppressor. But we also see this truth made evident in the cross of Christ. We see the truth that God is greater than the greatest oppressor because the greatest oppressor is Satan himself. And on the cross, Jesus conquered sin, he conquered death, and he conquered Satan. So we are trusting in a God who is not feeble, he is not weak, he is not trying to figure out how to win. We are serving and submitting to a God who is greater than the greatest oppressor. And that should bring us peace in the midst of injustice all around us, that our God is greater than the greatest oppressor. Here's the third takeaway. The third takeaway is this. God's glory will resound. God's glory will resound. Again, chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Church, we believe and we hold fast to the truth that there is coming a day, one day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day when God's glory will resound clearly through this world. And we long for that day and we wait for that day. And church, we expect that day. That is not to say that his glory is not here and it is not that it is not evident now, but there, are coming, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Here's the fourth and final takeaway that I want to leave you with this morning as we conclude our time. And it is a sobering takeaway. God's justice is coming. Another way that you could say that is God's judgment is coming. We can't forget the context of these woes 
As we consider this last takeaway, remember that Habakkuk has just told God that he doesn't understand why God is about to do what he's going to do, that it doesn't make sense to him. And, and God says, I want, you to, I want you to live in faith. I want you to wait in faith. I want you to trust me. And God basically says, I know you can't see my hand. I know you can't understand my hand, but I want you to trust my heart. And here in these woes, we see God's heart towards injustice. And in these woes, there is a declaration that God's justice and his judgment is coming. It is coming. Church, it is hard to look at the injustices in this world. It is hard to see them. It's hard to see them in ourselves when we have to wrestle with areas of our own injustice. It is hard to look at injustice in this world, but there is coming a day when God's justice will reign and there will be no more injustice. In chapter 2, verse 16, it says, You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will cover your glory. God is telling us that there is coming a day when those who practice injustice will be judged by God. Justice is coming, and we are called to wait and to trust and to hold fast to our sovereign God, believing that his justice will not Fail, but this also forces us to examine ourselves because scripture also tells us that it is destined for man to die once and then face judgment. And so the question that I want to leave you with this morning is a simple question. Are you ready for that? It is destined for every one of us to die and then face judgment. Are you ready for that? Because I want to again reiterate that if we if we want to go through this life trusting in ourselves and pursuing our own fame and our own glory, God will allow us to do that, but we will stand before him and we will have to give an account for our life and face God's holiness and his perfection and his judgment on our own. And we will be forced to drink the cup of God's wrath and it is an unbearable cup. Or we can stand before him and face judgment knowing that our Savior has faced it already on our behalf. And that all of God's wrath, all of God's hatred of anger has been poured out on His Son on our behalf. And we can stand believing and trusting in Jesus Christ knowing that though we still struggle with sin, we are clothed with His righteousness. That when God looks at us in Christ, He does not see our sin. He does not see our wickedness. He does not see our injustices. But He sees the precious and righteous blood of His Son. Are you ready to stand before God? Because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And so my plea this morning, if you have not trusted in Jesus, is trust in him today because he loves you and his blood is strong to save and worship the true and living God. Worship him. God hates injustice. So should we. God is greater than the greatest oppressor. God's glory will resound and God's justice is coming. And for all of these truths, we give God praise and glory and adoration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you that you are a God that we can trust even when we can't see your hand because you are a God who has revealed his heart. Help us to love you. Help us to trust you, God. Help us to pursue righteousness. Help us to speak up and speak out when we see oppression around us. Help us to be bold in our proclamation of what is right and what is righteous, what is good, what is pleasing to you. Help us to be bold in our proclamation that, that those in this world need to worship you because you are worthy. And help us to be bold in our proclamation that, that it is destined for a man to die once and then face judgment, calling people to examine whether or not they are ready. But God, we, we also just want to thank you for Jesus because left to ourselves, not a one of us could stand in your presence. And yet because of the great love with which you loved us, you have given the opportunity to be made alive together with Christ. By grace, we are saved. And so I pray that we would cling to that grace. But I pray that if there's anyone watching who does not believe in you, that they would trust in you and that grace for the first time, believing that you are good and you are worthy. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let's consider to worship our God in the victory that we have in his great name.